Hello and welcome to episode 114 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in the formats we love and the friends we made along the way. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only first friend, Shane Beeps. Uh, Stanislav, I'm looking over your shoulder, over your head, actually, the brim of your cap, and I see three secret lair boxes. And those are just the three that I opened. What, 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 what? It might be washed out a little bit in the white on white, but right behind the black secret lair boxes is a white unopened secret lair box. My man wants to keep it a secret. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking maybe I can keep it sealed. Maybe we can do a little dive down giveaway. I suppose this is probably a good time as any to talk about the the giveaway for the black is magic. Yeah, there's nothing we should do before then. Uh, not a not a single thing. <laughs> Let's put a pin in black is magic and yeah, just introduce let's. the Godfather, the second friend, Dave Harbarger. It's a giveaway, everybody. Let's just give the people what they want. What what else were you guys talking about before I got here? I'm here. We'll, oh, we're we're about doing some giveaways. Yes. No, I think I think we should just we should more than think about. It. I think we should just say that we we plan on giving away some number of black, black is magic a uh, very cool important secret lair uh, that is now on sale the proceeds of which i no benefit what it's like is black girls code is that the the charity mm-hmm. yep a foundation of some sort very good organization very cool the card art rules like really is very cool so um we will be purchasing some of those uh, they won't come for a while. You know, Secret Lair is a little bit weird, but we are ordering them and we will be giving them away via a method to be decided later. But keep your eyes peeled. Keep an eye on our Twitter. If you do not follow us on Twitter on at the dive down, all one word, uh, you should. Uh, that's one way that uh, you'll just probably just get a free entry for being a Twitter follower there. Yeah. If you don't listen to any other episodes after this one, just check back in in three, four months and we'll probably be talking about that giveaway again then because that's about how long it takes for secret layers to ship and with that this week's episode we are doing a very special patron requested topic it's been a while since our last one but we are thrilled to announce that on today's show we're talking about one of modern's oldest most beloved and arguably fishiest archetypes it's merfolk you guys know i hate seafood right really just like an outback guy real i just like steak what about like crawfish boils? Mm. Y'all do that. I mean, every I year. host them at my house, but I I don't eat them. I like sushi better than cooked fish generally. But what about um, sea bugs? I love the sea bugs. You know this is well established. I like I like a steak. Special thanks to Mickey S, patron, one of the two Mickey S's that we have that are are are, are patrons for suggesting this topic. Uh, Merfolk. It's Merfolk Week, everybody. Well, we should describe how one gets to this this tier and this ability to request a topic from us and work on one with us, right? Yeah, it's mostly by e- emailing us to remind us that we owe you one. So if we owe you a topic, please please let us know. We know we know we know who some of you are, by the way. We've got we've got one next week. We do have another one next week. Yeah. Be be tuned be in tune for that because it's gonna be a good one. But yeah. Um and let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about the the Patreon. Yeah, why not? We've got we've got new patrons, Henry F. And what that means, Patreon, patron, you go to patreon.com slash the dive down and you get to support us directly. You get to extract the money from your bank account and through a series of tubes 
and patreon.com website, give it to us eventually. And what that lets us do is make cool swag, uh, afford our editor, afford the subscriptions we have to do, you use for uh, this podcast, and you get various benefits. You get, you get cool stuff. People at the highest tier do stuff like this. They work with us to say, hey, I want you all to do an, ep- to do an episode about Merfolk. Or I want to hear something about a strategic topic that interests me. Or I really want to push you into a, into a realm that you haven't explored because you're afraid of it. And I'm tired of you being afraid. Like EDH. Yeah. Don't. Sorry. <laughs> we, we won't do EDH stuff. We just can't. We, we, we just not don't do get it justice. It. We just don't get it. But yeah, um, that's, that's the best way to support us. Uh, it's the, the best way for you to get access and the only way for you to get access to the awesome Dive Down Nation on our super secret Slack server. So head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down and you know, do your worst. And if you want to support the dive down while playing magic, you can check out manatraders.com, the rental service that we've been using for almost two years on, or more than two years on this uh, podcast at this point. Uh, if you go to manatraders and sign up for the first time with code, the dive down, all one word, lowercase, you will get 15% off your first three months of card rentals. And also by the way, We're going to start this week's episode in a moment with a breakdown of the wonderful tournament series that Mana Traders runs uh, monthly. The one that they just completed was Modern. And since uh, Merfolk is mostly a modern deck, let's say, we're going to uh, we're going to take a look at the this modern metagame as well. So it's a it's a bit of an all modern or 90 percent modern episode this week. Last thing, if you would like to support the dive down while playing arena, Check out Untapped. You can go to untapped.thedivedown.com to download untapped.gg's wonderful analytics tool. And we get a little bit when you download from that link. Awesome, Dave. So yeah, I'm at the news desk today. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna let Stan introduce me because there's no need. Um we are gonna be covering the Mana Traders Modern Tournament, uh, which took place in February. Hot tip March is Pioneer. And I think there's no better time like the present to get yourself in and check out Pioneer, a, for, a format that's reinventing itself, and you can be a part of that. But anyway, this is all about, this is a modern episode, and we'll do the usual. We'll walk through the overall metagame, talk about what people brought uh, from, from, from the, uh, what do you call it, the qualifiers into the Swiss. Mm-hmm. Then we'll look at the six or three six and three or better decks look at kind of what the conversion rate we can sort of call like a day two conversion rate looks like they'll look at the top eight and then have ourselves a little chat about what this modern new modern format is looking like probably throw in just a quick little challenge observation as well we got time might as well um so talk about the 242 decks that made it into the weekend swiss or is this is it one day or is it the whole weekend so the Swiss is Saturday, and then the top eight is Sunday, is how these Ooh, tournaments exciting. work. So overall metagame, we have, first off, Heliod. Heliod combo at 12.4%. That's a little bit higher for the number one deck than we have seen in recent modern kind of tournament breakdowns by a little bit, eclipsing 10%. After that, is it Blitz at 66 Boros Burn at 5.8, also at 5.8% Etron. I believe that's Eldrazi Etron. Azorius Control <laughs> at 5.4. Dredge right behind it at 5. Then we have three decks at 4.1%. You are going to love them because I do. Traditional Jund, 
Green Tron, and Jund Shadow. Nature is healing. Modern is back. We have Jund and Green Tron together again. Life's beautiful. Uh, 3.7% Amulet Titan, Hammer Time, 3.3 Humans, Rakdo Shadow at 2.5, and then Other, which in this sample is five copies or fewer, 33.5%. Uh, you know, Other is always a little bit arbitrary, but that is a nice big chunk of Other in this. So we have, what, one, two, three, four, five, like about 12 decks, and then the Other. That's pretty good. That's a, that's a lot of decks to look at in that uh, in that. 2.5 to 12.4%. Before I go into the six, the kind of date, the quote unquote day two, what do you all think about this, the, the Swiss? People love clicking. Click, 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 click. Love we to, got, and then Stan's like, you can save targets now. Love to click. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, can, you can save targets now, you guys. The spike feeder makes your creatures like hunted hunteds. Yes. Yeah, people do love the Heliod. Um, people are no longer fearing playing it on Magic Online for sure. I mean, that's been the case for a little while but definitely cements it as it's fine on magic online dot deck. I, that sounds like you just made a new button. Cause we've said that so many times <laughs> now that I think we have to have it's fine on magic online dot deck now <laughs> as a button. We're due for some buttons. We are due for some buttons. They got banned. I can't, I can't wait to hand buttons out in person again in like uh, six months. Someday, someday. Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's interesting. We kind of thought that there was a chance that the metagame would turn into a whole lot of Heliod at the top of this. There were, it's been looking that way. And now it's starting to separate itself from the pack a little bit, at least as far as this tournament goes. You know, Mana Traders is a pretty competitive Swiss. And so I would say that people are, you know, you have to qualify for it. It's, um, I think people who play in this take it pretty seriously. And so I think, you know, if 12, 12 and a half percent of people thought this was the best deck, um, I would be listening to them or at least thinking about that whenever you're picking what you're playing. Yeah. I feel like 12 and a half percent still isn't a dangerous, you know, some of the meta, especially because it's only maybe a third of that other category. Right. Give or take. Um, and, and is it prowess and, and likewise burn not that far behind in meta share, you know, behind Heliod? Yeah. I mean, I would say they're, they're, they're half behind, right? Like Heliod's 12 and a half percent. Is it blitz is six and a half percent. Boros burn is 6%. So I do think that it's separated pretty clearly from, from those ones. Then there's kind of a block right underneath that of your, is it burn Etron blue, white and dredge. And then maybe cut it off at 5%. And that's where the rest of the kind of named decks go. So I, I don't know if for sure that it's going to stay this way, especially given the way that this tournament turned out. So maybe we should talk a little bit about the performance and what converted into date two. So we can look, because we have access to all the meta data from Mana Traders, we can see how all these decks performed. Thanks again to Mana Traders for giving us access to their back end as part of our ongoing partnership. So what we can do is look at the percentage of decks that went six or three, six and three or better, and also look at the delta between kind of the field and where they finished up there. So Heliod, again, was the best deck in the six and three or better, 14.3%. That's a, about 2% better than it was in the Swiss. So it wasn't only the most popular deck in the field, it remained the most prevalent, even went up. That's pretty good for its performance there. Next up, Azorius Control, 8.2%. That's almost 3% above uh, where it was in the Swiss. Good showing here by some you know, classic 
control deck building in modern yeah did you take a look at the the composition of these decks or they're not stone blade decks right they're just straight up azorius control yeah the the ones that i was clicking on um to look at sometimes they said you know like yeah control or something like that and yeah it was just kind of standard like you know azorius planeswalkers path counter magic that kind of stuff okay Okay, so not right now we have two decks that went up, and then the next tier is really interesting to me. I'm going to ask you to remember what I talked about last week as you talk about these two decks, please. Racto Shadow, 6.1%. That's plus 3.6. It didn't do a lot last weekend when we, well, the, two weekends ago, when we expected it to be strong out of the gates, and but it shows up strongly here. Big conversion rate out of the Swiss to be a good performer in the six and three or better. Mm-hmm. And then also Jun Shadow, another shadow deck, 6.1%, it's a 2% increase. Um, Phil Helmuth, aka Sam Rolf on Twitter says, you can take my Tarmogoyfs from my cold dead hands. <laughs> Tarmogoyf is back, baby. But here's the thing that's really back. Last week, I said that where I would start with thinking about what deck I wanted to play in modern was with Thoughtseize decks, and here they are in this field. They managed to be a middling size in the actual Swiss, but converted very well into day two. And so I think that, um, you know, I think some people started thinking about ways that they could disrupt Heliod a little bit with with Thoughtseize, getting people to, you know, destroy the creatures that you could, and also just discarding some of those really problematic spells as well. Okay, following this, we have five decks that either were about the same percentage or lower than they were in the Swiss. And we start with Is It Blitz at 4% of the six and three or better. It's a minus 2.6% delta from the field. So, recent favorite, Is It Blitz, I mean, still does fine. 4% of the decks here is pretty darn good, but it definitely falls off from its representation in the Swiss field. Green Tron at 4% about equal. Greentron appears to be back and holding steady as a perfectly fine sort of tier two option yet again. But Etron is at 4%. That's minus 1.8. That's This falls off a little bit. Dredge is at 4%, about minus one. Again, I think Dredge is still a legitimate option right now. And I think we can talk more about how we view Dredge in a little bit. Amulet Titan stays the same, about 4%. Again, tight Amulet Titan, perfectly legitimate option if you like that style of deck. Next two decks pretty interesting okay we have four color omnath control at four percent and four color omnath blade at four percent so interestingly omnath was not called out in the swiss meta breakdown from mana traders itself so either for each of these decks made it out of the other category Excuse me. Well, probably more than four because it's four percent. Well, actually, well, our six and three and better was not a hundred decks. So anyway, so either some number of these made it out of the other category into the six and three and better, or it was lumped in elsewhere. I don't think that was likely the case. But either way, these two decks appear to have overperformed on the weekend. And we're going to talk a little bit about what Omnath Blade looks like when we break down the top eight. I think you have a good idea of what this deck's going to look like. But keep your eyes peeled for. Omnath, it is not gone yet just because Uro is and Mystic Sanctuary is. It's still a good card. Everett was right. Surprise, surprise. Stan, you want to take us through this top eight? Yeah, I'd love to. It's a really interesting one, pretty diverse. Let's start with, I think, one of the most impressive players on the top eight, Musasabi on Mardu Stoneblade. Redonkulous. This is their second time going undefeated in the Swiss of a Mana Traders event in a row. They did, wow. they did this in last month's tournament too. I believe that was Legacy. Wow, I didn't realize that. That is, it's, 
it's quite a claim stand to say that this is one of the most impressive players in the top eight because this top eight is extreme filled with really well-known uh players for sure but yes congrats to musasabi for going uh you know x zero twice in the swiss in a row that's that's incredible yeah i i just mean impressive in terms of going undefeated in the swiss yeah not that they're necessarily a, the strongest player oh they are clearly very good they are very good yeah they are very very good musasabi was a uh came to prominence a couple of months ago for being one of the first people to play that green white titan build with elvis reclaimer as well i believe so this time they're on mardu stoneblade this is a mardu mid-range deck we got yeah it's another new kind of it's another new angle like you know the the green white titan and they're bringing another new angle here yeah and what an angle it is three main deck lingering souls haven't seen that in a modern top eight in a while also a couple Magmatic Channelers, a couple Kroxa, four seasoned Pyromancer, and then, you know, your typical expected pile of mid-rangey Mardu cards, Thoughtseize, Angrath's Rampage, Bolts, Path, Kaya's Guile, etc. One of the things that really jumped out to me was also they had four copies of Magus of the Moon in their sideboard, despite only four main deck basic lands. So they're really counting on finding just a handful of basic lands as quickly as possible if they need to side into that moon plan. I like that greed. Yeah, maybe they sideboard out white even as part of that, or maybe they sideboard out a color somehow. It would be, I mean, it's interesting, interesting way to go. Yeah, that, that reminds me of kind of that humans sideboard plan where sometimes they'll have Magus in the side and bring it in. And so I think it's the kind of thing where you bring it in late enough, like you're not planning on cheesing too much, but like sometimes if if, if it's a land based deck like maybe valakit right and you're like okay well at this point i can deploy my make my magus i can turn off your valakit and try to win from there type thing where it's like you don't need you don't need to entirely nerf your your early game and take yourself off the lands you you have time to set up before i go on i i just want to mention one more thing phil helmuth did say on twitter that the top eight split so this is in no particular order. We'll point out who the winner of the tournament was, but this is not, you know, from hierarchy of first through eighth. Yeah, they might have played it out for like just for for kicks. But yeah, if, if you have that much money in the pool, might as well split. All right. Up next, Kara Tidam on Is It Prowess? Pretty stock list, but Prowess did make it into top eight. Up next, we have the winner of the actual tournament. It was Spider Space on Mono White Taxes, which is a Yorion deck. Not something I've been seeing a ton from the Taxis shells that have been doing well recently. It has a lot of room for cards since it's a Yorion deck. So now they're playing four copies of Linvala, Keeper of Silence in the main. Throwing a Guess couple. why. Guess what that's for. Tell me why. You know why. It's for Heliod. It's main main deck hate for the Heliod deck. Is Heliod good right now? Yeah, it's um I think it's an interesting move here. I, Spider Space has been playing Taxes with Yorion in it here and there over the last few months. So it's cool to see uh, Gabriel Maxson come back with kind of, I think that a lot of people kind of think this is like his signature deck style. I think that's probably fair. I mean, he plays lots of different decks, but this is one that seems to come up over and over again um, over time. And uh, it was really cool. I got to watch the finals and the finals was Heliod versus versus Mono White Taxes. And it was a pretty interesting matchup to, to see, especially all the ways that Heliod actually can deal with Linvala once it is uh, resolved. And so there's a lot of back and forth there. So it's not like a definitive way to lock the deck out because they can't recover. So it was a cool matchup. Seemed to work out in the long run since uh, Spider Space won. 
Yeah, I actually had to read the text on Linvala. It's just a 3-4 flyer that says activated abilities of creatures your opponent's control can't be activated. So that yeah. basically shuts down the whole combo in Heal right. God. Yeah, so some of the additional interesting includes in, in now what is now a Yorion deck. Uh, some main deck Winds of Abandon, which obviously extra copies of Path, but probably just a Stone Cold removal spell when you have Lean and Arbiter on the board. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a card that I've sort of been waiting to see some kind of play. It's like it's a kind of card that's like if it's seeing play here, I think it's this is the kind of card that I think would be fine to see in historic or or pioneer. Like everyone's like, "Hey, why don't we have something like path in historic and and something like this in pioneer?" And I think this is the kind of card that's probably good on balance, but how do you print it into a set? I don't know. You you put it into standard, <laughs> yeah, or uh, or historic anthology. That 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 would be a legitimate anthology card. That's also true. That's a good idea. I don't even know if they can do that. It is a rare, which is I think acceptable, but annoying, considering that path is uncommon. <laughs> yeah, it is. Is this, it how is. We, is this how we value cards now? Kinda. I mean, if if we're talking about adding it to historic, you kind of have to think about the wild card economy. You don't yeah, have th- to, but I choose to. The other thing that's really interesting about Spider Space's deck is that because there's extra cards, because you want to make Yorian work, um, you have a space for like a full four of of Archon of Ameria, which I don't think people were doing in the main necessarily. You have space for four Give of Runes, which I don't think was happening previously in Taxes all the time. And so you do have these extra kind of moments to be able to do, uh, have some extra mainboard hate or cards that make your cards resilient. The last thing I would say is if you have not seen Yorian come into a board with flicker wisp and some other targets, it is quite, quite a thing to see because basically you flicker you Yorian out flicker wisp and the other creatures you have, and they go away for a bit. Then they come back. Then you exile Yorian. Then you do the whole thing over again the next time around and you can do all kinds of stuff with that. You can reset your Skyclave apparitions. You can reset your charming prints if you want to. There's all this different stuff that you can do based off of just that interaction where you, it basically makes you be able to flicker stuff over and over and over again. Up next, Powery on green, white Heliod. Pretty stock list there. Yeah. Powery was the other uh, finalist as I noted a moment ago. Also Phil Helmuth who we had mentioned on Jund, Death, Shadow, pretty stock list as well. Yeah, worth the, the big thing here is that a lot of people are, they're essentially splashing Tarmogoyf into Red Black Shadow for Tarmog- or for that portion of it. That's why it's Jund. It's not a more complex package than that. That's just how it's been. And no traversing. They're not traversing. But the other thing that they're saying, and what's another card that I believe Phil Helmus said, you could pry from his cold dead hands were unravel the aether and mystic repeal in the sideboard, which are cards that also help get rid of Heliod. Yeah, that's classic. That's like Theros sideboard card. So Luris deck doing a lot of cool stuff with looping and, and all that kind of stuff. Still finding space for, of course, a couple of team or battle rage. You got your seal of fire package. It is a pretty stock list, but still a good one. Yeah, I, I wonder if the other thing we can read into sort of the rise of these Jun decks over Grixis Death Shadow is that Stubborn Denial just isn't really dealing with any non-creature decks at the top of the meta because everyone seems to be playing creature strategies, including these combo control strategies that are like opting for Omnath as one of their big, um, you know, control finishers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's one of the main things. People have been suspect of whether Stubborn would be good 
for a while and it's it's kind of unfortunately a one man at a gate just sort of isn't what it used to be next pro midnights on four color stone blade so shane had alluded to this deck a little earlier omnath stoneforge renin six also spell quellers you got the big and small teferi some removal some counters and three tireless trackers which i thought was the card that kind of made my eyeballs pop out in a cartoonish way it's uro just squint real hard in his uro <laughs> well it's good that you mentioned that because i feel like tireless tracker plus omnath seems like a ton of value for all of your lands it's just a new way of playing a lands deck practically yeah i think it's sort of just good enough right like uro made this deck absurd and now having tireless tracker in it makes it kind of good enough of course the uro decks didn't really have stoneforge but it's kind of like another way to grind forward this is not a deck i was expecting to see but it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to see in a way i'm glad that omnath has a home but i'm even more glad that Spellqueller has one yeah this is just like a different version of a jun deck right it's just it's just a value pile like hey you have you have red green and black cards i have four colors of cards and i'm doing all sorts of stuff here like i'm generating a lot of value as well yeah i'd eventually like to explore the functional difference between tireless tracker and cosima because they do such similar things um and they likewise have extra little synergies every time you play your lands that part of me wondered whether or not this could have just been a cosima or three copies of cosima instead of tracker could be. I mean, it operates pretty differently, right? I mean, it's kind of immediate onboard presence. It can it can block. It can attack. You know, it's sort of it's doing things more incrementally on the board than often exile zone. Mm-hmm. I will say one of the things that sticks out to me about this build is the spells. You got four mana leak. You got your Stoneforge package, and then what you really have is eight path to exiles you have four copies of path then you have two copies of on thin ice and you have two more copies of on thin ice in the sideboard so they are very interested in paying a single white to exile an annoying threat i'm gonna guess that annoying threat is spike feeder but but you tell me what do you what do you think it seems like a lot of a focus on that kind of specific interaction spike feeder is not the only good creature also anything in prowess is worth pathing yeah, but you can also bolt those a lot of times. You know what I mean? So you want to get Spike Feeder exiled and gone for good, right? Can you, though? I mean, you know how dangerous it is to bolt anything in prowess. You just got to time it right, right? They always have mutagenic growth. They do. They have it a lot. They have it a lot. All right. Uh, last two decks in the top eight. X-Whale on Etron. Barely stock. X-Whale plays a lot of Etron. So really interesting to see him make it to the top eight with this deck because he's been playing this basically all of 2020 he's also he's also well known for playing titan as well and then finally elf kid on blue black mill not elves weird it is weird elf kid's another well-known magic online player so yeah this is this is a top eight yeah um all right i i hinted at this i want to blast through this i did the i just did a quick pivot of the top 16s of the two weekend challenges just to kind of compare and contrast we have three copies each of jund and green tron again modern is healing these two nemeses are the most represented decks out of the top 16s two copies each of mill jund shadow is it blitz hammer time azorius spirits azorius control amulet titan one of's a bunch of stuff white taxes slivers Infect, Land Destruction, Polymorph Combo, Urzathopter, Modern is back, everyone. We have a lot of decks you can play. 
Here's what blows my mind. Every time I do a modern league, literally every single time, I play against at least one burn deck, frequently two, and prowess. So I keep <laughs> the, the modern that I encounter is hyper aggressive. But then when we look at these results, it's all over the place. And I know this is my sample size, but it's just it's kind of unusual that these aggro burn prowess decks aren't actually homogenizing more of the format because I think a lot of these other strategies that we're we're talking about, like slivers and land destruction and polymorph, could uh, be vulnerable to some of these hyper aggro turn three decks. Yeah, it can only be so much of the meta. Where's Heliod? Weird. Not there. Not there in these challenges. They were all playing mana traders. Yeah, they were all mana traders. Takeaways, gentlemen. Like, how how can we take what we're seeing, this this new modern, and think about what we're doing next, what we need to be prepared for? So, I mean, I'll just echo what a lot of people are saying, and I think it remains true that modern's pretty open and diverse right now. Heliod may be the best deck, but it's not the tier zero deck. It's just a deck you absolutely have to be prepared for and know how you're going to deal with, you know, sticky, indestructible enchantment creatures, maybe even how you can stymie life gain uh, strategies as well. What does preparation look like, do you think, Stan? Like, how can people prepare for Heliod? Like, we're seeing a lot of hand interaction, we're seeing a lot of removal, we're seeing a lot of burn in the meta. So, like, what's accounting for this deck's success right now, even in the face of that, do you think? Mystic Repeal seems good. Yeah, so you think like you need some edge case interaction? Yeah, I mean, not counting on spells that say destroy target, but looking for other ways to actually interact with, you know, onboard things like Heliod or Spike Feeder or Walking Ballista that you could potentially, you know, answer and prevent them from going off as well. Because, you know, something like Lightning Bolt, not really great against them. Uh, but Thoughtseize and Exile Effects and shuffling something back into the library is... Um, and also just something that says t- players can't gain life this turn. Also pretty good. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's interesting is that I've seen on Twitter people talking about this, and I've seen in some lists lately, people running or splashing even for Deicide from, uh, I don't know if you remember that. Wow. That card. But um, yeah, people are keeping an eye out for it. And it's definitely like, I mean, you can still die to a, a Heliod deck that doesn't have Heliod, of course, because they can make some big creatures and kill you if you are stumbling. But being able to get rid of the enchant the enchantment and surgical extraction Heliod from their deck could be pretty big as well. And so I think that people are, I don't know if that's an overcorrection, like that might be a little too far for it, but definitely people are running edge case exile enchantment or tuck enchantment type of stuff. Dayside is interesting because not only does it exile target enchantment, if the card is a god, that's where that surgical effect comes in. Right. Really weird, right? Funny. Um, next to Heliod, you got to be prepared for prowess, I think, or, or burn for that matter. Just having something to either clog up the board from, you know, a lot of fast, early aggressive creatures, but also maybe something that can buoy your life total a little bit. You get that timely, timely reinforcements or, um, you know, there's a bunch of cards in green, weather, the healing, storm, healing, healing salve. I mean, yeah, why not? I, mean, I mean, even, even just Omnath is, is a plan against burn in itself. So and, that might explain why some of those, yeah. And better skull, of course, totally, totally. Yeah. So that might explain it. I do think that you're just going to see those decks like Stan was saying, especially when you're playing in the queues. So when they're good, they're going to be around a lot. Even though we're seeing a small uptick in the, these Omnath decks, I do feel like blue white control is the primary control deck right now. Um, so knowing how to have a plan against control or how you can maybe post board against a control strategy 
win quick game one or concede quick game one and then take over games two and three, I think it's kind of a decent place to be. Likewise, Jun Shadow appears to be the de facto shadow deck at the moment. But Stan, Rakdos, Rakdos is tied, Stan. It's tied. Right, so that's one weekend of results. But we've also seen in a post-band metagame, Rakdos Shadow just really dropping off and, and Junt picking back up. I will say, as far as like the person who plays Shadow the most frequently on the, the show, maybe I would be playing Junt right now because I, li- I like having extra threats. I like having... Ex- Tarmogoyf has always been good for me in the past. I, I, I like a... Uh, aggressive shadow deck that has a little extra big threats and so i think it's it's great to have access to that with tarmogoyf too i will note to listeners remind listeners that that dave didn't have a green card binder for like a number of years and now he's (laughs) the one saying you should be playing tarmogoyf well yes but the first some of the first green cards i ever bought were for tarmogoyfs yeah that's true let's keep that in mind what do y'all think about the level of proactiveness of this format because i think it's it's tempting i think to say hey this is a proactive format like it's really going to be hard to play controller mid-range and then i look at like the result like i'm you know i'm tempted to say that right and then i look at the results and it's like well hey like 16 percent of our you know day two quote-unquote meta is controlling decks in azorius and omnath like i'm not going to play those decks because it's not something i'm good at and like you can even you can make the claim that green tron is a controlling deck jund is still showing up of course uh that's like a mid-range-ish controlling-ish deck it's not putting the fastest clock on people unless it's Jun shadow so what are we looking at here? Are we looking at a balanced format or do you think we're looking at still a proactive format where you want to be putting, asking the questions? Dave? I I mean, I'm always, I'm just slanted to be proactive. So I'm just going to say yeah. if proactive decks are good, I'm going to be playing proactive decks and fine with that. And when they're not good, I'm probably going to be playing them anyway. So I'm happy <laughs> that they're, that they're good right now in, in modern. Um, I think it's nice that there's a little bit more space for diversity in mid range. Like you can play Jund or you can play a four color stone blade deck, or you can play taxes. And those are all in that kind of mid range ish space. Um, so at least they're not all being dominated by Simic Uro based decks anymore. So in that sense, I think the metagame is healing. Um, I do think there's a lot of stuff to be figured out still. So I don't know if we can have a good answer right now. It's not like Kaldheim really made a difference, but there's a lot of, it's going to take a little bit more time, I think, to figure out what the top deck in the meta really is post-ban still, I think. I feel like proactive is the safest place to be, and these mid-range and controlling strategies are just trying to figure out how to potentially exploit the metagame, as opposed to a metagame where control and mid-range, i.e. an Uro environment, is the best deck. Mm-hmm. And like I would consider Heliod and Prowess very proactive decks, and they are at the top of the metagame, and if not just results but even in popularity for a good reason and i think it's because they're asking the tough questions i agree with you shane that mid-range and control is is playable but i think that's in part because the tier one decks aren't you know so busted that you can't answer those questions and likewise i kind of just think one of the reasons spider space was successful in mana traders is taxes is one of the ways to be really effective and mid-rangey against some of the stuff we're seeing from heliod and and the hyper-aggressive decks yeah nice way to like kind of disrupt gain a little bit of life lock him out sometimes you just have a lot of axes against the the specific things that are happening in in the top decks yeah and of course taxes still has some moments with you know being able to destroy people's lands and disrupt people that way and just like win Mm -hmm. via leon and arbiter and keeping somebody down so there are a lot of moments there and then 
you can kind of slide into Stoneblade when it's time to kill somebody. All right, last two observations. If you want to play combo, I feel like Amulet and Hammer Time are your combo decks at the moment. And it's a little weird to call Hammer Time, I think, a combo deck, but I've been hearing that come up more often just because it is like... Sure, yeah, it is. Can we get these two to three cards online and then win on the spot? But if that's sort of the the lines that you like to play, just trying to line up a very specific, you know, win condition, uh, Hammer Time is doing that. And I think the expert amulet players are likewise super capable of doing that right now because there isn't a ton of taxes or or Ponza or just uh, resource hate in the metagame to potentially uh, get in the way of the amulet players right now. Well, I mean, it's worth noting that uh, Lapless John won one of the challenges over the weekend with Hammer Time. Yeah, they also stated it was their first win after many top eights. So congratulations to preeminent Moto grinder Laplus John on their first win. And the last deck I want to talk about, it's Dredge. Yeah. Dredge. So here's my here's my elevator pitch on Dredge. Not a format that Dredge can exploit. Neither is it hostile to Dredge. It just feels like a decent deck that might have an uphill battle post-board. Yeah, Dredge is weird, right? Because it's like... It's a kind of deck where I think the meta in which it, it truly thrives against doesn't exist anymore. Like this like sort of outrunning one-to-one removal, recovering well from sweepers. Like, you know, we, we do see Azorius Control. We do see traditional Jund. Um, you know, we do see Shadow-type decks, which I think it's fine against. But in this meta, we don't see like a lot of natural predators either, like you said, right? Like nothing's nothing really eats Dredge's lunch game one too much. And I think post-board a lot of these decks aren't really racing dredge. So there's, they're saying like, I need to have enough sideboard hate. Like they're not going to out combo you besides perhaps like Heliod has a chance to be faster than dredge. White taxes can put pressure on those non-creature spells. It can have the exile based removal that can, you know, that can be an issue for dredge. So I think you're right on Stan where dredge is, is in a weird space right now where it's like, you know, it's how much, how much pressure are the other top decks taking off it? How much pressure is Heliod? How much pressure is Taxes? How much pressure is Prowess? That kind of stuff where it's like people have to account for that. And so they have, might slip a bit on Dredge until it keeps creeping up. Maybe it's like 6, 7, 8% and then sort of gets squashed back down. That's a fine place for Dredge to live. Agreed. So that's the metagame this week. Probably going to be pretty stable for the next few weeks, I think, until something really shakes up the format or maybe there's a true homogenization at the top tiers. But with the exception of maybe Heliod, we're not really seeing a lot of that. So I think if you've been thinking about playing Modern, you keep hearing people talk about how good Modern is, the results are in, and that appears to still be the case. And you know what else is good about Modern? You can talk about decks like Merfolk in earnest, and it's not that embarrassing because they still do somewhat okay in the queues. Yeah. Recent 5-0s, recent prelim good records, all kinds of stuff. Heck yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're diving into modern merfolk. The fish are a floppin'. Stay with us. All right. We're diving into the dive down this water themed episode. We mentioned it and we'll say it again. This is a Patreon funded episode. Thanks again to loyal patron Mickey S, um, a loyal supporter and a good friend, one of our favorite Mickey S's in the Slack. Um, And Mickey suggested we talk about Merfolk. You know, what's the deck about? We want to give a brief history of this deck because it's such a beloved archetype. Uh, Many people have played against it, if not piloted themselves, and it's sort of been present throughout the history of the format. 
I think we all have stories and, and, and memories of playing with or against it. Yeah. Figure out how it's built, how it operates in general. It is a tribal deck, but what sets it apart from some of the other famous tribal archetypes in the format? Try to give some... Oh, I, I want to break in here, okay? This, this, is, this is the first tribal deck that I was ever exposed to, besides perhaps Affinity, and, I, and that's not really tribal. Like, So shout out to one uh, Eric B. of the old Chicago game crew, who is a Merfolk main. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, and it yeah, foiled he, out. Foiled out Merfolk It was deck. sick. It was sick. Uh, and yeah, he, he, he exposed this me to this deck. I got blown out by it plenty of times, even while playing affinity. Uh, one of the, one of the, the old school, uh, very, um, tipped, tipped scales matchups in modern, but it was still fun. I almost feel like Merfolk was the original Jund in that any there was a period where whenever I would encounter a modern foiled out deck, it would just be Merfolk. Right. Yeah. One of the first like identity decks. Like yeah. I love this deck so much, I'm foiling it out. And Mickey S, we got 18 pages of notes to go through for you. We're gonna fax them to you later so you can have them <laughs> put in your keepsake box. Make sure your machine's on. All right, that's enough memory lane. Let's actually talk about what this deck is about. All right. Merfolk, aka Fish, one of the one of the classic archetypes of modern. It's been around in some iteration for basically the entirety of the format's existence. A lot of decks can't say that. A lot of decks can't say that they've been around for as long as modern has, and never had a card banned out of it. Yeah, I mean it's it's never been. I mean it's it's definitely been tier one as we'll talk about, but it's never been so crazy that people are saying, "Hey, well, you, you got you got a you got to ban some pearl tridents here," okay? Um, so what Merfolk is, is a blue-based, aggressive tempo deck that is built around Merfolk tribal synergies. So in that end, it is a pretty fair deck and employs a lot of cheap, efficient creatures and some types of disruption or interaction to overwhelm the opponent's defenses. And this, of course, is an Aethervile deck. It's one of the best ways that creature decks can cheat on mana, surprise their opponents, get around counter magic, Aethervile rules, and it is one of the de reasons that this deck uh, has power. It's been built in slightly different ways throughout its history, sometimes linear, proactive, other times more interactive, more reactive, maybe striking a balance between the two. Merfolk's ability to adapt to these various metagames and fit its pilot's playing style via the creature suite, via the blue disruption spells, maybe splashing for some other colors like white or green. Um, that's one of its most intriguing aspects. And that's probably part of what's made it stick around for so long is that it's pretty customizable. It's pretty tunable. You can play this deck in the way that you want to. And we'll talk about a lot of those different variations that we have seen over the years and that we have played for this episode. And it's, you know, it's it's kind of challenging to consider Merfolk a top-tier deck in modern right now. I don't think anyone's saying that. I don't think Mickey S. is saying that. I think he just likes Merfolk and wants to see us talk about it. But like Dave was saying uh, just in the end of the breakdown, we see seasoned pilots like M. Hayashi, like Nikachu, like the Dogfish. These people are 5 0 leagues. They're top 32-ing modern challenges or higher. And that's indicating that there's always potential for these guild friends of ours to make a showing in modern don't sleep on the fish or with the fish don't sleep on the fish or you'll be sleeping with the fishes that's that's what you're trying to say right <laughs> oh that's really good dave i like that new pin our all of our merfolk friends will get that one what does it mean if someone sends you a master of the pearl trident but it's wrapped in a newspaper is that a threat <laughs> or a trade 
If you wake up in bed next to a master of the Pearl Trident, look out. All right. So like you said, Merfolk has a deep history, Shane. Yes. We're going to try yeah. to give some of the relevant bullet points about how yeah. this happened. I'm going to have to skip some of these. I wrote, there's, so I have a history of modern Merfolk. I want to thank Redditor uh, Bell Sambar, who they wrote up an awesome history for Merfolk a few years ago. I used for a lot of this earlier information before the newest stuff. And okay, early modern Merfolk, August 26, 2011. Okay, the first modern daily event. Remember those? A demure list featuring the good Merfolk, along with Dark Confidant, Inquisition of Kozilek, Agony Warp, along with the truly greedy mana base for the number of blue pips that were required. But uh, that's another episode altogether. Agony Warp. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a modern playable card in 2011, my friend. Wow. Uh, around the same time, though, of course, the mono blue lists were also showing up. Very similar to contemporary decks, really. Um, what's weird, though, is Aether Vial is not always in these early decks, even though I double-checked. It's a dark steel card. It was always legal in modern. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's... I don't know why people would start without without Aether Vial. I think that, that maybe earlier on it wasn't as established as something that was just a value card. I, I remember encountering decks that tried to use Aether Vial pretty early on in Modern for comes into play abilities more frequently. And so I think that people maybe thought it was tricky and not just value and it's just value. Yeah, I think I think we've we've come to learn just the mana advantage of Aether Vial over time as well. So stuff that gets stuff gets added to Merfolk over the years, like it does to every modern deck. We have things like Master of the Pearl Trident is in uh, 2012. I believe it's M13. Oh, that's around the time we're seeing a lot of white splashes in these decks. Things like Path, Rule of Law, Stony Silence, because this deck doesn't beat Affinity. Not that it matters anymore. Uh, Master of Waves printed in Theros, fall of 2013. Um, people kind of initially doubted it as a, as a, as a powerhouse end of the year. It's a four of staple and pretty much every Merfolk deck flooding the board with elemental tokens from then on. Stan might have something to say about that later. Magic origins gives us harbinger of the tides gives like a vapor snag, like effect on a bear. Why not? So this is around the time end of 2015, summer 2016 Merfolk's a legitimate tier one deck in terms of representation. It has metagame representation surpassing even Infect or Dredge, even with Affinity still being a powerhouse in the format. So the so what you're saying is that the, the time when Master of Waves was in a lot of these decks with Harbinger was kind of the best moment for Merfolk in, a, in the metagame. Master of Waves was maybe the peak? Yeah, I think that's when we see like, you know, four to five percent of the meta um that's like i said it's like around where a little bit above in fact and dredge when these decks were still doing their thing um very reliably so it was it was a deck that was around it was like you know the top five or six decks in the format cool and you know that, that's probably the glory days from then on we're going to see some slipping metagame share uh, even as we add a few tools like you know, Ixalan block if you remember that that was a tribal themed block and we got green merfolk um so that gave people options for going Simic. Um, and those Simic lists did show their power towards the end of 2017. There was back-to-back -back SCG modern open top eights, uh, and those are always legitimate tournaments. So that's when people were still testing it out. Uh, it wasn't necessarily tier one, but it still was able to succeed. Merfolk Trickster and Dominaria. We'll talk a lot about Trickster, I think, this episode. It's another disruptive Merfolk bear. Gave people versatility, flexibility. Around this time, M. Hayashi, we mentioned him earlier, or them earlier, rather, a longtime Merfolk player. This player gets a little buck, 
right? They start in 2018. They're running things like Chalice of the Void along with Aether Vial, a, a, a pile of two-drop merfolk. They're even experimenting with Smuggler's Copter for like two weeks. Uh, um, you know, it, it's, it gives a new concept into this style of deck. Like this player is not, they don't keep running Chalice for a long time. But it, it cements this concept into the style of deck. We'll, we'll even see decks like Modern Humans from time to time running Chalice in the sideboard. June 2019, big thing, Modern Horizons is released. You might remember that. Um, and Force of Negation comes into play. Of course, this is a premium interactive spell. Works great in a deck like Merfolk. Because creatures are plentiful and redundant and blue. And so it gives it a, a weapon against these fast combo decks that it couldn't pro uh, probably couldn't race before. We get uh, Throne of Eldraine, notably underpowered set, but we do get Brazen Bower as yet another option for a disruptive spell. And, you know, it's not a Merfolk, but it's good enough to see play in some numbers and some by some players, probably a Mayashi. Uh, you know, so like I said, we get these cards, but other decks are getting cards as well. They're getting, you know, new strategies. The overall strength of these decks has continued to rise. We're seeing decks like Humans and Spirits gain important cards. It makes them more disruptive, makes them more evasive, being more resilient to removal because they don't rely on Lords as much. This slow and steady evolution of Modern has seemingly reduced Merfolk into kind of a specialist's choice right now. Like, why play Merfolk when you can play other vile decks, like a newly reinvigorated Death and Taxes, the always reliable Humans, the evasive and... Trixie Spirits, and that's kind of what we're going to look at in this week's episode. We're going to see what does Merfolk bring to the table that these other decks do not, what's kind of the power level that we see in the versions that we played, and kind of, you know, tie the bow, what are our final thoughts on Merfolk, and why might you want to play it? Okay, so thanks for the history. I think it was really, um, you know, nice to be reminded that this was the first tribal deck in Modern that really worked and kind of became iconic for being a tribal deck. Um, we've talked about tribal decks a number of times on the dive down over the years. And so it's nice to get to focus on the original. And this one set the standard for what these decks could be and kind of what um, I think the way that a lot of people think about them. So I think what we should do is do a quick little refresher on the way that we kind of see decks like these being constructed in a lot of ways and, and how Merfolk fits into that. Because I, one thing that you'll note and what Shane talked about is one thing that's cool about Merfolk is that it can kind of build a lot of different uh, into a lot of different shells or kind of adapt itself to the metagame while staying true to what it is. And I think that the way that the deck works is partially uh, responsible for that, especially with the fact that the core cards are all a single color. Um, so decks like this usually feature a combination of cheap creatures that are buffed by other cards, right? And so we think of them as lords are the cards that do the buffing. Tribal synergy payoffs, those are cards that we called lieutenants before. And then just beaters, usually, you know, cards that are just kind of going to get big and attack. There's disruptive elements, and then a little bit of space for spells here and there, enablers in decks like this. So even though it's really a linear snowball aggro kind of deck, all of these pack a little bit of disruption. They all pack a little bit of mana ramp, usually in the form of Aether Vial. Uh, or Noble Hierarch in some decks like this, but not in Merfolk, of course. And then it's straight-up card advantage from stuff like Collective Company, Collective Company occasionally. You might see that in Merfolk in a different format where, say, Aether Vial isn't available. So that's the general anatomy of a deck like this. If you want to hear more about the way that when we talked about this in a little bit more depth, listen to episode 102, Tribal 
time, I believe we, that one was called, where we we talk a, a lot longer about how decks like this are constructed. I forgot we did that. So Merfolk itself, though, what does it look like? So the place we have to start in Merfolk is, of course, with creatures. There are a w- somewhat wide range of creatures in Merfolk decks, but I think it's fair to say that this is the type of deck where you're basically going to have more creatures than anything else. Now, sometimes you have 16 creatures, sometimes you have 18 creatures, sometimes you have 31 creatures. I saw some lists recently like that. You know, at its core, I think the average is around, you know, around 24 creatures seem to be where where these fall. But there are even recent ones by none other than M. Hayashi, who we were talking about earlier, where that only had 16 creatures in the main deck. And that was a really tight package of a couple of lords, one disruptive creature, and that was kind of it. 16 creatures in a Merfolk deck that concentrated more on disruption via spells. I think this says that Merfolk can flex, right? What kind of meta are we in? One that needs cheap counters, one that has has a lot of removal style interaction. We can address that. We can add more counters kind of stuff. Yeah. I think you'll hear me bang this drum a lot this episode. And that is this, this point gets at what Merfolk I think is all about. Like you, you can play this deck as like a tempo plan. Like you have a lot of disruption. You're trying to capitalize on to try to get your damage in sort of steadily. You can try to be an aggressive beatdown deck with a lot of Lords. There's even combo style decks that we'll talk about. And I think that is, is a little bit of a spoiler. I think that's one of the advantages that Merfolk brings to the table over some of our other tribal strategies is that I think part of part of just being such a popular tribe for such a long time and the flexibility and sort of you know intricate nature of some of our blue interactive spells, like they they do the same thing in different ways, like subtly different ways and have different strengths and weaknesses. And that leaves a lot of like sort of you know tweaking space on the table that a lot of the other decks don't just have room for. And I think that's kind of what an interesting aspect of Merfolk really is. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about what types of creatures are in here. So obviously the first one, the most important one, the namesake card of this is uh, the Lords. And generally Merfolk runs between eight and 12 Lords. Um, this is the original payoff for playing a tribal deck of any kind. And it kind of started with Merfolk because the first card we're going to talk about really quickly is Lord of Atlantis. Lord of is Atlantis alpha? was an alpha. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's called, how many, how many Merfolk were there? Like two? Uh, there was just Merfolk of the Pearl Trident and Lord of Atlantis, I think. But really, really forward thinking, my friends. Yeah. I mean, maybe you were allowed to play 10, 10 Merfolk of the Pearl Trident originally or something like that. But, um, you know, this is just your bog standard Lord. It's blue, blue. Other Merfolk get plus one, plus one and have Island Walk. And it's a two, two. It gives hold on, hold on. What? My 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 general Kudro does not give my humans island walk, Dave. I know. And that's the thing that, that is really interesting about these old style lords is that there was kind of a cycle of them in the first set that each gave a land walk ability to the relevant creature type. And guess what? In this deck, island walk is actually pretty relevant uh, quite often. And we'll talk about that more later. Because all of your opponents are playing blue? Sometimes this it, is modern. Sometimes it is that way. Yeah, it is modern, but there's other things as well. Of course, uh, the second Lord that's always in these decks is a four of is master of the Pearl Trident, which as Shane mentioned was printed in M12. And it's just another card that says other Merfolk creatures you control get plus one plus one and have Island walk. And it's a two, two. This is 
the rule of eight in effect completely it's a functional reprint yeah, that's, that's like literally the same card right it's mm-hmm. well the the only difference is oh it's your it's it used to it used to be your merfolk and other merfolk and then it just got eroded to like other merfolk creatures you control right yeah not eroded like they didn't change lord of atlantis they the, lord of atlantis still says all other merfolk get plus one plus one so if you're playing against someone with ah. merfolk they get it but Master okay. of the Pearl Trident just concentrates on yours. They did a whole like dis- they did a whole thing where they decided to ruin slivers, quote unquote, by applying the same rule to it. We'll talk about that some other time. But um, you know, it helped the deck get better, but the deck was still pretty good before that. In that time, it just became a really clear inclusion. The last most common lord that's run of these decks is Marrow Regery, which is two colorless and a blue for a Merfolk soldier. Other Merfolk creatures you get plus two, get plus one, plus one. It's a 2-2, and it says whenever you cast a Merfolk spell, you may tap or untap target permanent. So this is from Lorwyn Block, Lorwyn Era, and it has that kind of like tribal payoff part where you can uh, get a triggered ability. The tapping ability is super useful in this deck because sometimes you can use it to ramp, or sometimes you can use it to get around blockers. Sometimes you can find a way to, to um, you know, trickily like tap something down that shouldn't be or that won't untap. So there's there's just lots of different ways to do it. It's just a card that lets you make plays. Yeah, I will say this this is a three mana lord instead of a two mana. And it's it's crazy how different <laughs> three mana can feel versus two. Like it, it was in my deck, uh it was the only three mana creature my deck even ran. Mm-hmm. And it, it it does make your Aethervile decisions easy when you only run a couple of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And so um, you know, I think that it's it's maybe lived past past where it was super super good but it was definitely in the deck that i played and like i said the activated ability is really good or the uh, the triggered ability is really good the last one i wanted to talk about really quickly was merfolk misbinder which is the lord that was in uh rivals of ixalan and that is a green and a blue and it's just a 2-2 that is has the lord ability that's all it is yeah it doesn't bind anything doesn't bind anything just a lord bear yeah exactly so don't forget about this card. People immediately started talking about using it in the blue green decks in modern. I, I'd say that the in modern, you know, the blue green decks don't come up as much as they do in other other uh formats, but it's still a it's still a good card and it's definitely on rate for what you want a lord to be. A bear that buffs people. Oh yeah, Simic is perfectly successful in like the the deck history. If you look if you look at like the MTG decks website, like Simic Simic is uh, not quite as popular as the mono blue variants, but it's it shows up a lot. And that's actually what I played. Spoilers. And also, you know, it doesn't even leave time for us to talk about other cards that were the lords in Merfolk in the years before this. Coral Helm Commander, which is a card from uh, Rise of the Eldrazi, had level up. It turned into a flyer when you leveled it up, and then it turned into an air elemental that pumped your, um, pumped your Merfolk. That was really good. Merfolk Sovereign was just a three CMC lord that could give a Merfolk unblockable. There were more. It had Merfolk has a lot of lords available for its threat package. And while the two CMC ones have mostly outmoded these, it, it kind of explains why Merfolk has been around for a long time. Yeah, one of these days we're going to have an Oops All Lords deck and it's just going to be Merfolk because it's like every new set that has any kind of Merfolk theme or sub-theme, let's just drop in another Lord. What's a, what's another Lord of Atlantis? Give the people what they want, Stan. Lord of Exelon coming. <laughs> All right. Uh, so those are the Lords. They got to pump someone up and that's where the beaters come in. I'm going to go through these. There's uh, usually about eight or so of these per Merfolk deck. Um the most common one that comes up is Silver Gill Adept. It's 
one and a blue for a merfolk wizard as an additional cost to cast it. You reveal a merfolk card from your hand, or you have to pay three extra mana, almost never doing that. Um, but when it enters the battlefield, you get to draw a card. So one of the reasons this is important is because merfolk doesn't have a lot of velocity. So this is one of only a handful of ways you actually have to get through your deck. And it is a 2-1. Yeah, I mean, it's a super important card in this. Yeah, replacing itself is what this card's all about, I think. And uh, side note, David Ernerwine, I believe that's how you say his name, a very good modern analyst over at Modern Nexus, also a player at my local shop who is a one of the end bosses. I've played David so many times back when we had Paper Magic. He's a former uh, Merfolk player, and he stated in one of his articles that Merfolk's fall into tier two and beyond was mostly due to this like grindy, cantrippy nature of the deck. And we'll talk about other cantrips in a bit. They're no longer that relevant because these standard sort of removal piles like old school Jund fell by the wayside over time. Um, but that being said, like you want your cantrips where you can get them. And uh, Silvergill Silver, Silver Gill Adept is a perfectly good one, especially combined with some lords. Yeah, I think there's some mind games that you can play when you have to reveal breachers to cast this spell. And level one usually reveal actually the next merfolk you intend to cast so that you're not actually revealing too much information. But sometimes you can get into level two mind games and have your opponent expect to see one thing and then surprise them with something else entirely. Yeah, for sure. I think it's that's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, if if how if, if I can trick my opponent some way, then maybe I should. Like it's the kind of thing where let, let's say you reveal your um poopadoop what's that card's name the one the one that can uh harbor let's say you reveal harbinger of the tides right like that's the kind of thing where you can say hey um i'm gonna make you make a tough decision and then you play out let's just say a lord instead where it's like okay well then you have more power and toughness on the battlefield and so it's like that's the kind of thing where it's like I think the more experience you get the more you can think about what am i revealing and when and that is, uh, you know, that's a that's a percentage point here and there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is also one of the reasons why Aether Vial is kind of handy in a deck like this, where you have a bunch of cards that make you pay extra mana or get a discount by certain doing certain restrictions, like whether it's reveal a card. Um, later on, we'll we'll talk about Harbinger, which is um, it, it makes you pay more mana if you want to play it at instant speed. Uh, Aether Vial lets you get around all that stuff while also getting yeah, the upside. Yeah, good point. Yeah, because you are not casting off Aether Vial. I mean, people probably know this, but very important, you're just slapping it into play. Up next, Benthic Biomancer, one of the newer uh, merfolk to enter the format. It's a single blue, uh, but it has one and a blue adapt one. If this creature has no 1-1 one, one counters on it, put a 1-1 one, one counter on it. Uh, it comes in as a 1-1. One, one. You can adapt it into a 2-2. Two, two. And then whenever one or more 1-1 one, one counters are put on Benthic Biomancer, draw a card, then discard a card. So at some point, you also get a little loot out of it. Yeah, why not? Merfolk looter. We have Kumena Speaker. This is a single green for Merfolk Shaman. It gets plus one, plus one, as long as you control another Merfolk or an island. Yes, yeah, so you can basically read this as a one mana two, two. Like it's it's a, it's a fine card. Like a two, two for one is like what you want to see in your aggro decks, right? But this is modern. So this is just a, a fine card. It's a medium card. It's a medium card in this deck, I'd say, even in the Simic deck I ran. But it's fine being okay, especially when it gives you options. Like let's like on turn one, Aether Vial, 
lets you untap on turn two. You put your counter on Aether Vial. You play a Lord off of your mana, flash this in at the end of your opponent's turn. You then untap. You have two or three mana along with an Aether Vial on two. You get another couple Lords down or maybe like a Lord, another creature. It's pretty reasonable to expect a 3-3 or a 4-4 out of this, sometimes with Island Walk. And it's it's like it's like build your own planet agent, kind of. It's even better than Tarmogoyf because it doesn't shrink to graveyard hate. Right, it's your your right stand. This is the new Goyf. I'm going to get a <laughs> I'm going to get a future site version for $125 3 years ago. Last beater we want to mention, kind of a weird card and we weren't sure where else to put it, and that's Master of Waves. Um it's a Three and a blue for a merfolk wizard pro red. Elemental creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Where are you getting elementals in your merfolk deck? Oh, wait, there's more text here. When master enters the battlefield, create a number of one, zero blue elemental creature tokens equal to your devotion to blue. There's zero toughness. They die as soon as they hit the battlefield. That's ridiculous. It's for a bunch of hogak triggers or something oh i missed the line previously they get plus one plus one. Oh, uh, yeah i guess that's relevant plague engineer yeah master of waves is also two one cool shane tell us a little bit about the disruption that this deck has on its bodies oh my god there's so many options like i don't know where to start and where to begin but i do have notes in front of me so i have some kind of framework to operate within um start with so- the first one that's listed here <laughs> on, this, on the dock Mer- merfolk was kind of like the original disruptive creature deck which is cool like things, of course, have changed. Humans and spirits exist. We've got really good options in those decks, of course. But the point here is that decks like this, like they're kind of like ostensible beatdown decks, right? Like you need your opportunities to outplay your opponent. That's what magic is all about. Like you have to be able to surprise them. You have to be able to make their spells harder to cast. You have to, you know, you have to be able to remove or uh, bounce things on the other side of the battlefield to get your damage through. These kind of creatures and spells go a long way into making these kind of things happen, uh, especially these first two creatures. So we've got Curse Catcher, which is a single blue merfolk wizard. If you sack Curse Catcher, high price to pay, you can target, you can counter a target instant or sorcery spell unless its controller pays one. So this is this is a very conditional spell. Like you want this early because otherwise uh paying for like a what a force spike is uh not that great yeah but i mean the the point of this card i think is you know it's interesting it i think it's supposed to play a little bit of a role where originally it could help you somewhat as a hedge against removal but it's also a huge hedge against uh, decks that are trying to cheese out with spells that they're not paying for or getting to situations where they have to use all of their mana and tap out in order to win on a turn that's feasible for winning. So Curse Catcher is kind of in there as disruption for both of those kind of decks at the same time. Plus, it just gets bigger. It also has a little bit of an extra synergy with um, Unsettled Mariner. Yeah, absolutely. Unsettled Mariner is um, an important card in this deck at this point, and it just they just work together to make the deck better against removal. I do think it's interesting Shane brought up spirits a little bit earlier where he kind of said um you know they have much better disruptive options it's amazing to look at this card compared to like mausoleum wanderer i think personally just because mausoleum wanderer power power creep happens yeah power creep happens uh it's it is kind of a shame but it is what it is all right up next merfolk trickster blue blue another merfolk merfolk wizard uh this wizard's power is to uh have flash and also, when an, e- when, an, when an ETBs tap 
target creature an opponent controls, it loses all abilities until end of turn. Not Merfolk Trickster, the card you targeted. Um, it's a 2-2, so it's another bear. <laughs> one of the newest cards we added to the deck, and one of the most surprising, perhaps. Like, it's one of the ones that is has the most surprise uh, ability and tricksy ability in your hands. The, the applications are very wide for this card. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people looked at the spoiler of Dominaria and were like, no, Merfolk Trickster is going to be constructed playable in all these places and definitely going to become like a key card in this modern deck whenever it comes up. But almost every list that I saw had this as a four of. I don't know if I saw one that didn't have it, actually. And I think it's because it's one of the best ways to have a body and have some instant speed play in the deck, you know? And you can do all kinds of different things with this. Shane, what kind of stuff did you destroy? With it? <laughs> um, it's, I mean, it won me a, a number of games I wouldn't have won otherwise. Like, let's say, let's say Tron gets their Tron online. They're like, ha, 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 worm coil engine. Then you're like, well, I have this Merfolk trickster. I've been saving precisely for your, your worm coil engine, my friend. GG's. Um, you know, tap that thing down, win the game. Uh, germ tokens, wielding batter skulls, another prime target for me and Merfolk Trickster. Uh, removing all abilities is very wild, very flexible. Like, like it's just, I mean, you let's say it has first strike or double strike, or there's all sorts of stuff that, like you don't think about. Like you gotta, you gotta really look at some cards when you play this. Cause you're like, what? what oh, all abilities. Yeah. And guess what else is an ability text? Like uh, Tarmogoy's power and toughness is equal to the, or blah, 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 blah. The stars are equal to whatever. It makes Tarmogoy into an O one. It kills Scourge of the Skyclaves straight up. You just play it and it kills Scourge of the Skyclaves because <laughs> Scourge is a zero, zero. Um, it's, it's got a lot, a lot, a lot of applications. Yeah. This is like, this is a very digital card game card. Like you don't, you don't see a lot of stuff like this in magic, but like removing abilities, like silencing a card for a turn type thing. Like that's the kind of thing you see like in rune terror or something like that. And that is a unique ability and unique effect that trickster offers this deck for sure. Yeah. So important for of remember that they have flash speed interaction, even without aether vial when you play this deck or you will get punished. All right. What's next Shane? Well, Harbinger of the Tides. This is a this is a definitely cool card. This is one of the this is one of the few Merfolk I actually own because it was just like, well, I might as well buy four of these. Um, you may cast Harbinger of the Tides as though it had flash. If you pay two more generic to cast it, um, when it ETBs, you can return a target tapped creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand. It is a two-two. So again, this is a like cool proactive spell type creature. It's you know a little a little pricey maybe especially if you have to pay two extra but like Stan said you vial this in and you get a cool sort of little um, or reflector mage type effect this is one of the things you know we'll point out later it's not quite as good as reflector mage but it's more efficient potentially you get that sort of vapor snagish tempo effect and and the the bear to attack with as well. Next card that we that people have around is Unsettled Mariner. Um, you know, Unsettled Mariner is a changeling. It's from Modern Horizons one, and it says whenever you or a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability, an opponent controls counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one. This is one of the most annoying cards in the world because <laughs> uh, it has so many different edge cases. There are so many games where I felt like this was low key the best card in my deck. Whoa! It really depends on the matchup. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. It, it, but it's in a deck full of lords and in a format as uh, 
low to the ground as modern where you're trying to get as much done with as little mana as possible. I felt like Unsettled Mariner gave me a lot of protection and slowed down my opponents on tempo um, more often than not. It, it it never feels truly dead. Worst case scenario, it just kind of slows them down before they beat you, but it always at least slows them down. And sometimes you can cheese out that win. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's the type of card that's easy to sideboard out if you're not facing something that's really rife with with removal or or something like that. Um, please remember that the way this is worded is very strange and also that it protects you as well as your creatures. So uh, on either side of that, like if an opponent thought seizes you, they have to pay one and they also have to pay it in response to the trigger. So sometimes there's some weirdness that goes on with that as far as timing goes. Just don't forget about it. And then the last, last card in this area, this disruptive area, we put it in here. It's not a great fit for it, but that is Glasspool Mimic, which is one of the best kind of most recent additions to the deck, I think. And this card has been, you know, really good in a lot of different decks, but Glasspool Mimic, two colorless and a blue. You may have Glasspool Mimic enter the battlefield as a copy of creature you control, except it's a shapeshifter rogue in addition to its other types. And it's a land on the back. So at different points in time, maybe this type of deck would have run Phantasmal Image. Now it runs this instead so that you can have the flexibility of having an extra land. There are so many things you would want to copy in this deck, whether you want to copy a uh, you want to copy a Trickster, whether you want to copy another Lord, whether you want to copy another Unsettled Mariner. There's just tons of things that you can do with Glasspool Mimic in this deck. And that's it. Word. Okay. Important stuff that we don't have time to talk about because you know what it is. Uh, ramp slash selection type stuff. Aether Vile is mostly here in the modern versions. There's some historic Merfolk as well, and we get some like collected company options there. Aether Vile is amazing, right? Like it's it just in, it's a linchpin to decks like this because it lets you be surprising with your ETB effects and your Lord effects. It lets you uh, double your mana in many ways. Um, it's just, it's, it's essential to these decks success. And it's what I love about Aether Vial is it's always just good enough. <laughs> like you're never, you're never like, oh, Aether Vial has got to get banned, but you're always like, man, Aether Vial on turn one is going to be brutal. Let me tell you, it doesn't feel good enough when you draw it on turn five. Am I right guys? <laughs> That's right. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Notably Merfolk, even the green ones don't really play collected company. Maybe that's because four mana is is a lot to ask for in this deck. They run pretty low to the ground um, in terms of how much actual lands they play. Yeah, don't need it in modern, I think is where it is, but super important in historic where you don't have access to Aether Vial. All right, and now let's talk about a handful of disruptive spells. These aren't unique to Merfolk. Force of Negation, everyone knows what it does. It's our fixed force of will that actually is negate. The nice thing about running this in Merfolk is that almost every single card in your deck is force fodder. So let's say, yeah. you're, you know, if you're if you're low on mana and you need to counter a problematic spell on your opponent's turn or that, yeah, on your opponent's turn, um, basically throw away an extra Lord, a disruptive creature that doesn't matter and you're good. You you yeah, have but, to be able to stop. There, this is a deck that I think you 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 can play for force in with almost no downside. And so in in the met well you can't draw extra cards you can't so you don't make up for it as well as some other decks right and, and i think that's a, a huge downside but on the other side it's never just stuck in your hand and you do have a lot of redundant cards so you you yeah. can't just run it and i feel like that's part of the reason or occasionally that this deck is good is because you um you always know what you can throw 
to force if you get in a situation where you have to kill something that's going to kill you on turn two or something like that. Yeah, there's and there's there's a lot of decks. As I mean, unfortunately, there's a few decks that Merfolk can lose to because the clock is maybe a half turn or a turn slower than some other beatdown decks or some other sort of creature combo decks. And so it's the kind of thing where it's like, hey, my opponent is playing that that expedition map. And it's like, well, I got to keep him off Tron. I don't have a spreading season hand. We'll talk about that in a second. Or it's a, it's a creature combo deck or a spell-based combo deck. And it's like, well, this is the difference between me winning this game or losing this game. And I got to buy myself a turn or two. And I think what you guys said is correct, which is like, this, this deck has redundancy, right? Like we talked about sort of the, the eight to 12 Lord type thing. And you could you could throw away an extra Lord, or if it's a if it's if you know it's a spell based combo deck, it's not like your Merfolk Trickster is doing you much work, right? And so you can you can toss that to to buy yourself a, a chance to win, and then you get your beat done with your your Lords that, that are in your hand. So it's a it's a really powerful spell, and I think that you 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 both maybe are are underselling the cantrip ability of this deck. Like we have. Um, the the adapt we mentioned before we have spreading seas in a lot of this deck this th- these decks do run we do have um i think one of the repeal spells also cantrips there are there are cantrips in this deck for sure very little but yes yes <laughs> they exist they exist all right, all right next card is an unusual one for a creature deck and that's chalice of the void everyone knows what chalice does Merfolk doesn't have a way to cheat these out early. Usually you're just playing a chalice on one on turn two. Sometimes if you, I guess if you need to, you can play it on turn four as a chalice on two. The neat thing about chalice in a deck like Merfolk is thanks to Aether Vial, assuming you get an Aether Vial down on turn one or just cavernous souls. Even if you're trying to play, you know, your one drop curse catchers, you can do that into a chalice because you have ways to either get around spending mana on them with um, the vial or your Cavern of Souls makes them uncounterable. Yeah, exactly. And it's really easy to construct this deck, especially post-board, to not have one-drops in it or to minimize the one-drops if you're going on a Chalice plan, um, which sometimes you want to. You know, if you're up against Prowess, for example, mm-hmm. you know, Curse Catcher's not really going to do that much for you. It's it's going to get eat a, eat a Lava Dart or maybe stop, stop something one time. You really prefer to just stop them from being able to go off, and so Chalice is kind of better in that kind of situation. Guys, we're surprisingly low on time, but I do want to. I, I, I want to give Spreading Seas its fair share here because such okay, an important sp- card here. Yeah. Okay. One in the blue enchantment or enchant land. When an ETBs draw a card, the enchanted land is now an island. Well, this does so much, right? Like it has like you disrupt the opponent's mana. You can trip. You make your Merfolk unblockable with Island Walk. It's just like always good, right? Like it's like I almost consider some of these builds of Merfolk to be like C's cheese decks, right? Like the games mm-hmm. where I drew C's and where the ones that I didn't were so drastically different. Like my C's is taking my opponent off their colors. It's like maybe hitting a Tron piece or some other land. It makes them unable to block my stuff. Like I feel like most builds of Merfolk want to run four. And if you're not running four, like I don't know what you're doing exactly but then again i'm not a merfolk master so maybe you know better than i do yeah we'll have to ask him hayashi i you know the cool thing about seas and why i think it's so important to this deck is that it's also one of the few ways you actually have velocity right it's you know this is one of the few cards that draws you a card so not only are you disrupting your opponents but you're not actually wasting a card in that process 
Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing more satisfying than dropping one of these and attacking for 16, though. Yeah. Like, they always have to know that it's coming. And so, you, you, it's weirdly, you get to threaten people in a way that you get to do with, like, team or battle rage in uh, Shadow, where it's like, they have to respect that you could play a spreading seas and, and run them over at almost any time. And then you have a couple other spells. You got Spell Pierce, Mystical Dispute, Deprive, Repeal, Dismember sometimes makes it in. These are all spells that have seen play in Merfolk. It is not easy to figure out what how many spell slots you get. As we noted above, it's generally around 7 to 10 spell slots, although occasionally you'll see somebody go all in on interaction. You need creatures. You need creatures. So Honorable mention, Bind the Monster, Single You from Kaldheim. Oh, I remember that spell? Everyone loved that spell. And, and I think Merfolk is one of the only decks I've seen it occasionally pop up. And I think it's because Merfolk does not have a very greedy fetch-based uh, mana base. So you're not really doing that much damage to yourself. So if you use it to actually tap down one of your opponent's creatures, yeah. it's not a huge setback. Yeah, that's, man, I feel like I kind of want to run this now in the sideboard. Why not? It's good. Lance. So you mean Mutavault and the, all the other lands? Yeah, I mean, it's Mutavault, Cavernous Souls, Wanderwine Hub. There's there's some other payoffs. Like I was playing Blue-White, so there's Wanderwine Hub, which is a cool tribal one that comes in like Anti's Hovel. It's a reveal land. Right. Two-color fast lands. There's good stuff that you can do with the lands because you also just get to run a good amount of islands if you want to. So And the fast lands are great. You know, on the in the situations where you are splashing for a second color, because you're an aggressive creature deck, you know, you kind of want those early untapped lands. And that's why anytime you're you're going into a second color, Merfolk decks are almost always running, you know, two to four of these fast lands as well. So that's the deck and all the options that you could have for the deck. But the question is, what did we actually play? So this is fun because I think we all played different decks. They all had Merfolk in them. Yeah. <laughs> But they're all different versions of Merfolk. <laughs> did none of us play just a regular old blue Merfolk? I would say Stan kind of did, right? So Stan, what okay. did you play? So I played a blue-white Merfolk deck and really splashing white for Unsettled Mariner and then a handful of sideboard cards. Skyclave Apparition? Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's double white. Doesn't matter. Um, the thing that makes my deck perhaps unique is that I was running the Mystic Reflection Master of Waves combo. I can't wait to hear. Dave, how about you? So I played two different decks. I think I played the deck that is maybe, in my mind, the most stock right now, which is blue-white blue with a light splash for Unsettled Mariner and mm -hmm. sideboard cards like Stan was talking about, but really just 31 creatures, three force negation for Aether Vial. Like it was oh, wow. 12 lords... And a whole bunch of cards that you try to kill your opponent with. Yeah, so um, I ran the aggressive Simic build, 14 lords, a lot of two drops, a little bit of interaction, um, because it made sense. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so who wants to go first? Shane, do you want to take us? Well, why, don't I, why don't I go first really quickly, since yeah, I think please. I have the stockish deck. So, do it. Oh, I should also mention, I played Simic uh, Merfolk in Historic as well, which was a list that Mickey gave me, actually. So uh, I tested it out. All right, so blue-white in modern. As you can imagine, there's been so many good kind of white cards that have gotten better lately or been added to this deck lately that there's a good incentive to um, to splash. There's also Wanderwine Hub, as I mentioned, which is a good kind of payoff for being in Merfolk Tribal with an untapped duel when you do a reveal. Um, so this had 
four Unsettled Mariner in the main, and then it had two Oriok Champion and three Skyclave Apparition in the side. Those are all the white cards. This had three Chalice of the Void. I was playing a list by uh, Ketu Soesismak, who went 6-1 in a modern challenge a couple weeks ago. Um, and what I can really say is, I feel like this is the most standard version of the deck right now because it's just a kind of slightly tricky beatdown deck. You know, I, I felt like the splash was really worth it. It's good to have force available even right now in the uh, in the formats uh, without, you know, it's not like we have to stop somebody cascading into Tybalt at this point, but still helpful. It's nice to have Chalice out of the side for prowess and also to have access to Skyclave Apparition, which is just such a good catch-all card. So good that it's worth splashing a double white card in your mostly blue deck. Yeah, it seems like it's it's okay in modern, I think. Yeah, really good. Um, I did really well uh, against non-fatal push decks, like other aggro and combo decks. I did all right again. But when I came up against a shadow deck and another fatal push deck, it was not to be. So when they had a bunch of extra removal, they just kind of overran me. But other aggro decks, I managed to hold my own against. I went 3-2 in the league that I took this through. Right on! Wow, nice, nice burrito. Yeah, nice burrito. Was it was it a was it an honest burrito or did you did you go one two into three two? Oh, I went two one into three two. Yeah, That's I think I went win win, loss, loss win or something like that. Um, and then the other thing I played, as I mentioned, was Mickey's blue green deck in historic. I thought it was interesting because the historic deck is a lot less refined than the modern version. You know, I, there's there's not as many like clear payoffs. There's a couple of lords that you can play, but it's not as kind of just not as streamlined, I think. And so you get to run some cool cards like Kamena, Tyrant of uh, I forget the name of the city, the full card. Arazka. Yeah, Tyrant of Arazka. You can run Mistcaller as kind of like some main deck tech for goblins. You can run Realmwalker in that deck, actually. So that was the one time I got to mess around with that card. And that was really good to play with in in this particular thing. Dave, did I have Kamena in my my sealed deck that we reference? I don't think no. I had Kamena. No, you didn't. You had a, a lot mythic. of other blue green cards. Uh, this deck is was good in in historic, but it, it does struggle against the Angels deck that's really popular right now. It struggles against Extinction Event, of course, because you aren't able to like onboard counter as much, and you just kind of have to have Spell Pierce up, which doesn't happen all the time. It felt pretty good for historic, but I think it's kind of like one card away right now but it was a lot of fun like if there was one better um one better merfolk or once you know maybe we bring in something like curse catcher or something like that into the deck now historic does have access to trickster silver guild adept master of the pearl trident and miss caller so you have a you have a lot of the core of the, the modern deck there but it just kind of felt like it didn't quite fit to me but it was a lot of fun um so those are the two decks that i played you know dave being a blue mage, I always figured that if you were to ever adopt a tribe, it would be merfolk because you could also play counterspells. Mm -hmm. Did this feel like home at all for you? So I've always been more of a fan of spirits. Right. I guess the way that it works out, I like flyers a lot. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that for, for me there. Um, in historic in particular, not having access to spreading seas was kind of a bummer. So you can't really do anything to like let your, your island walk happen. And of course, only one of your lords gives island walk. So it's a little less likely to happen. Um, I, I had fun with the deck. It felt like a good choice occasionally to have in the holster for tribal decks if you want to be aggressive, depending on the meta. But I would look at 
like my list, my tier list would probably be like, I would look at humans and then I would look at spirits and then I would look at Merfolk if I wanted to be there and see kind of like which has the benefits for a certain metagame. Right on. Word. Stan, I, I want to have your deck go last. I think it's the coolest. With so, pleasure. All right. So I ran out, as I mentioned, the, the Simic build of modern aggro fishies and this might not surprise anybody because I wanted to run with the more aggressive, perhaps Simic style of this deck. And what this deck does is focus on a lower curve and a heavier number of cheap lords to get damage through as quickly as possible. And so I was, I was talking earlier about how different builds of Merfolk seems to focus more on tempo or aggression. And I think that this is maybe the more aggressive slant of things. Like the build I ran had 26 creatures, four Aether Vial, four Spreading Seas, a mere 19 lands, seven interactive spells, which is a playset of Force of Negation, two Echoing Truth in order to bounce non-land permanence, and a random hieroglyphic illumination for some long game draw or like a cheap cycler. I might not run that card. Um, the Simic build, of course, gets to run those newer uh, green-based Merfolk from the Ixalan block. This build leverages the one drop of Commander Speaker and the two drop Lord of Merfolk Mist Binder, which again binds nothing. It just provides a Lord effect on a bear. The rest of this deck um, pile of the two drops we outlined earlier in the episode. We got uh, Adapt, we've got Trickster, we've got uh, play sets of each of the two Island Walk Lords, a few Marrow Regery to t- uh, top our curve out at a massive 3 CMC. Um, interesting issue of this deck, I will mention, is that the mana can be rough. It's It seems that people don't like running Cavern in this deck, and, and I, I might need your all's help. Like, it's surprising to me. I don't feel like there's any reason not to. Like, it's not like your Simic dual lands are keeping you from casting your blue non-creature spells. So it's not really any different from those blue base decks, right? Like, I can't figure it out. Do you have any ideas why it's not running Cavern? I don't. The list I was running only had one as well. Yeah, it's just like, why not? I don't know. I guess you're just afraid of not being able to cast your interactive spells, but I don't see how you're not going to hit blue mathematically. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, the sideboard can again run many of those typical cards and fish decks. Like you've got like Tidebinder Mage, which can tap down opposing red and green creatures as long as it's on the battlefield. Dismember gets you creature removal. Collector Oof is in green, but this deck is Simic, so you can hit those artifact heavy decks. Uh, helps against Tron, of course, various graveyard hate pieces, and so on. Um, the goal of this deck is pretty straightforward, right? Like get your hand deployed to the board as fast as possible. Possible. hopefully through aether vial get that damage through and so this deck seems particularly focused on leveraging the power of spreading seas like you want to disrupt your opponent's mana and make all of your low drop creatures unblockable like the low cmc of your creatures or low mana value of your creatures you're able to activate mutavault fairly early for that additional attacking power uh, as well and I also think this deck really wants to have Aether Vial because of that, right? Because like playing with a natural curve with this deck is probably not going to get the job done that often. Like if you're like, you know, one drop, two drop, um, two drop, three drop. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes like, you one top, two drop, two drop, two, two drops. Like that's yeah. probably not going to get it for you either. So, yeah. So it's just like you, you've got to be able to leverage Aether Vial if you can. Like it's, it's really reliant on, I think, both Spreading Seas and Aether Vial, which is not a 
bad thing to be you know reliant on, but it does feel like a little finicky in that way. I'll kind of talk about strength and we- strengths and weaknesses in a second. Like I think it gets that strength through its increased density of lords and that low mana curve. Like you can really present a pretty quick clock while also putting your creatures out of a lot of the burn-based removal, especially kind of like some of the prowess removal. Like you're not going to get hit by lava dart very often when you've got some three threes or four fours or things like that on the board. And that clock that I mentioned is important against the uninteractive decks that are still around. Like you've got Amulet Titan, you've got Green Tron out there, and you've got to be able to outrace or outclass other creature decks or creature aggro decks. Like you, if you can put up some three threes and some four fours, those are some decent blockers if necessary. Like, and then once you have that spreading seas down, like Dave said, you can just sort of turn the corner and just alpha strike with a bunch of power, maybe a muta vault or even two that you've been sort of sitting on for a while. So it's kind of the kind of deck where if the creatures are big enough, you can put up a little bit of a wall and or just let damage go through and then you spreading seas or something like that and just go crazy because your opponent is able is blown out. But like Dave mentioned, like this deck can be weak against removal especially if you don't have Aether Vial, because like your lords are getting picked off, you're not presenting a clock, you're not outclassing what your opponent's doing, and you're just going to die because you're swinging with like a 2-1 or something like that. Um, I also had some issues facing down a Batter Skull, of course. Like Batter Skull seems like it's pretty popular right now in like those those uh, Blade-style decks. Um, you really got to leverage your Tricksters or maybe a Bounce Spell, maybe a Dismember out of the board. But that even that's not enough because like... You know, your opponent can deploy Batter Skull back pretty easily. Like, let's say they have an untapped Stoneforge and you bounce the Batter Skull and they've got two mana available. It's like, well, who cares? Because they just can throw that back onto the board. They can even bounce it themselves for three mana. Right. Yeah. So it's like this, it's it's not enough to like just sort of bounce that Batter Skull. Like, and if they get any life gain off it, it's pretty much really challenging to to fight through that unless you of course have that spreading seas i mentioned earlier um we'll talk about this in a second so i'm not gonna harp on it but like it's just like what is this deck doing better than other tribal decks and that's kind of like the question i'll sort of leave hanging uh for now but again there's some pretty potent cards here that i think do separate merfolk from those decks so stan Chain. Let's talk about your let's talk about your deck because your deck is pretty cool. Yeah, mine used some a new card, and that was one of the reasons why I picked it because I thought this is my chance to finally play with a Caldime Eye Popper when it was first spoiled, and that was Mystic Reflection. I don't remember what that does. So Mystic Reflection is one in a blue for an instant. You can also foretell it and then cast it for a single blue once it is foretold. And it reads, choose target non-legendary creature the next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enter the battlefield this turn. They enter as copies of the chosen creature. And this version of the deck combos with Master of Waves. And that's our buddy that when Master enters the battlefield makes elemental tokens, um, the number of which is equal to your devotion to blue. So it's kind of like adding a bit of a two-card combo into your aggressive creature beatdown deck. I feel like I should probably maybe talk about how this combo actually plays out. Yeah, yeah. talk about the combo here. It's a little confusing and and even unintuitive. Maybe there's a math formula you can do to actually calculate it's how it snowballs, but I couldn't figure out the math because the numbers are out of this world. So let's say you've got your five mana 
to cast a reflection out of the foretold zone and your um, master waves. On an empty board, when master waves comes down and you reflect it, it makes only three elementals, one extra master, and you essentially get 10 power across five bodies. So that's that's five mana for 10 power across five bodies. Eh, seems fine, but probably nothing worth building a deck around. But now let's say that you only have one blue pip out. So you already can contribute to your blue devotion with, say, a spreading seas that you cast on a previous turn. Now you make three Master of Waves and eight tokens, making a total of 38 power across <laughs> 11 bodies. Wow. Suddenly okay. this combo looks a little more interesting, huh? That's hilarious. Here's my last math example, just to illustrate how much these two cards snowball. If you combo off with two pips on the board, okay, let's say you just have one of your lords out. Yeah. You're making four masters, 18 elementals, and 98 power. That's not counting any other creatures or lords that you might control contributing to your your overall power or creature count. That sounds good. <laughs> so if you if you go like turn like that's so wild. Yeah. Okay. I won't even try to math it out. Okay. It's it's hard to math. Just watch out for plague engineer. All right. So you, you really well, should. Yeah. Yeah. And I, here's the only thing I'll say, you know, once I saw this opportunity to play this version of the deck and started looking around for lists for various reasons, perhaps because it's so early in the format, there wasn't, you know, what I would consider an agreed upon version of this combo shell. Well, you know, people are working in shifts on it right now. So we'll see <laughs> in a week or two. They've got us working in shifts. Um, there was a recent for as, as recent as the last 5-0 deck dump had a Mystic Reflection Merfolk combo deck in there. I didn't love the look of it, so what I did was I found a blue-white version because I thought that um, the blue-white Shapeshifter would be really good as a protection spell. Um, and I just rammed eight cards into a blue-white Merfolk deck. Maybe the one that I was playing. Perhaps, yeah. but maybe not. All right. Playing Mystic Reflection, this is my first time playing Merfolk ever, all right? I did try yeah. to do some practice rounds before I actually hopped into a league. Same. Wanted to get my sea legs. Why? You gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta relearn how to tap. You guys, all right. I did, you know, maybe a handful of tweaks here and there. Something that Shane said to me that really resonated was that... Always be tweaking. Well, also, Merfolk deck should be playing for Spreading Seas. And I figured with the amount of Island Walk in, in my deck, and, and after playing these practice rooms, I realized how little velocity I had. I was like, yes, I want to draw cards. I want to draw into my combo, into lands, and actually potentially enable a, an Island Walk-based plan B. Uh, because five mana, that's a tall order, too. Eventually, I did my league, and I finished 2-3. So it goes. Hey, same, buddy. Same. And, and here's the other thing. You know, I was talking about how, like, modern results are are so different from my leagues. My league was kind of weird in that I played against Jeskai Thopter Sword and Boros Boom Bust in the same league as Boros Burn, Mono Red Burn, and Is It Prowess. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That said, can you guys guess which matchups I did well in? Uh, the last three? No, it was not the, the burn <laughs> matchups. Oh, you only won two, so. That's right. And I did Who go. Who needs lands when you have Aether Vial? <sighs> yeah, you need to draw both of them. At first, I was off to a great start. I've included a, a screenshot. Uh, I tweeted it as well. In my very first match against the Thopter Sword combo, I managed to go off on turn five, and I made 
72 elemental tokens on a single turn. It's I think I made seven or eight master of waves in part because I already had a board state to kind of go off to contribute to my blue devotion. I did do this into a board where my Emery opponent had uh, EE on zero that I just completely ignored. I still won because of the master of waves and Island walk, you know, just came up naturally with their uh, skull, um, steam vents. But I, I figured at that point, maybe I can actually play this combo deck and it can actually do stuff. Uh, that said, the rest of the league I played was predominantly aggro and my turn five combo deck, not super fast. Um, especially when you're only running about 20 lands, drawing enough lands to actually execute the combo or survive till turn six. So you can, in theory, try to vial in a master of waves. It was really tough and, and not really a sustainable plan. And I think that's kind of what contributed to my losing record in the end. Um, did you get no fringe benefit from having uh, master waves have protection from red? Zero. Zero. That's too bad. I, I used to have problems with that when I would, would run into it occasionally with like a Bernie type deck, but um, mm-hmm. not enough. Well, he's slow. I, and yeah. I, I think a four mana creature um, isn't really your, even though he has pro red, isn't really your answer against aggressive red decks. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was a few years ago and now it's just they're They've all gotten faster. So, yeah. And, and bear in mind, I'm running eight cards for this combo with the four reflection of the four masters and as a result i found myself in this position where i was neither a combo deck because i'm not actually going all in on this one combo i also wasn't quite of an aggressive deck because mystic reflection doesn't do much with any of my other creatures and it takes a while to get to um the master anyway and you know let's say i'm playing against something like prowess that can consistently remove my creatures when i play them Playing a master on turn four and an empty board doesn't really produce the type of board state that lets me claw back. Right. And and this is even though I was playing 32 drops, right? Between my lords, between some tempo bears, still not really quite aggressive enough. And I think maybe those last eight cards could make a difference. Um, so like I said, uh, Unsettled Mariner was my principal reason for blowing going into blue-white. And I think that ultimately help just a little extra protection for for my creatures just to get them to stick around longer though i think that does more to help um the creatures i play before i try to combo off um just to keep things on the board a little longer and maybe let me chip away at their life total a little bit and pressure their life total a little bit before i potentially go off and make a million elementals in terms of you know whether or not the combo itself is good or bad i think it might be both Hmm. Okay, so the good news is putting 50 bodies on the board on a single turn is a pretty solid way to spend five mana. And I think that's what I was always thinking about. Is this worth a five mana two card investment? And the ceiling is is very high. I mean, 100 power on turn five is 100 power. That's what Heliod is basically doing minus the life gain. The bad news, eight cards that your deck might be actually better without. And if you notice a lot of merfolk decks, even that don't run Mystic Reflection, are shaving most, if not all, of their Master of the Waves as well. It's an expensive card now. Super expensive. Um, But this gets me to what might be a bit of a silver lining as I think about the future of this deck and really the future of this combo. 
These two cards exist in Pioneer. And maybe that's where this type of shenanigans could actually find a home, since Merfolk is, at least right now, more or less absent from that format. Yeah, give me some, give me some Mono Blue Devotion with uh, Master of Waves. Why not? Leyline of Anticipation? Oh, you know. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And Nykthos, a whole bunch of stuff that Everett really likes. But you don't even... Yep. So, you know, Nykthos would be nice to make extra mana and, and maybe play this combo ahead of Curve. But as I pointed out with my brief, poorly executed math segment, you don't need that much blue devotion to actually get a lot of value out of the combo. Even having a single blue pip will get your opponent dead on board. And then having multiple blue pips is just out of control. But what you need is a counterspell as well to keep someone from doom scarring you or whatever. True. Right? When you do get it on. So maybe Nykthos can help with that too. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the, the deck I'm imagining there, I didn't get to spend a lot of time iterating in Pioneer, but it might just have to be a very different deck as well because that format only has one Merfolk Lord and it's the blue-green one. And you can't really do evasive maneuvers with Island Walk. But maybe there's room to reimagine the deck, you know, to make use of everything else that's possible, thanks to some of the Simic fish from Ixalan. All right. We're running really long. Surprise. Who knew that Merfolk would take us well into the two-hour mark? Mickey knew. Let, we got we to talk about, I think, what Merfolk does and what it doesn't. And so, first off, it's tribal. What do y'all what do y'all think that Merfolk gets you that other tribes don't? Like why would you pick why would you play Merfolk? The lords, Jerry. There's so many lords. There's a lot of lords. It's a pro and a con. I th- yeah. I think that's kind of a big part of it is you always have a really strong proactive two drop that is on plan and and supports everything your deck is trying to do. You know, you can run a version where you're practically running 20 creatures that say all, lords. all of your creatures get plus one, plus one. Yeah, I think that's one big reason. I think another reason is just uh, Island Walk and Spreading Seas is mm-hmm. a nice way to get some evasion that can be good in certain ones. Another thing I still am a big fan of with this is the ability to um, have a really simple mana base if you want. And kind of be more complicated from there if you need to be for some reason. Yeah. I think that there's unique disruptive creatures in Merfolk, like Trickster mm-hmm. or Harbinger. And like you said, the Lords are cheap and give you that Island Walk. Like I didn't play Master of Waves in my deck, but that's of course an intriguing finisher. It gives you a really wide board potentially, especially like in your combo scenario, right? So I think that's like, those are like the key things, right? Is like the, the unblockability even on the ground and the unique effects that a few of the merfolk give you and like you said is like efficient lords like so that's kind of like the i think the main summary of of what merfolk gives you and also like, like like you said dave is like the mana base really clean yeah and as part of that force of negation so if there's a reason you want to be aggressive and pack force of negation this is your shell for that and mutavolt yeah and mutavolt the, like too. super efficient creature land and bind the monster but mm, why not <laughs> maybe less of that one um but like, what, what are you, what, what were you missing? Like in terms of like, you know, you've, you've all played spirits. I don't know if you've ever played humans, but like, what are you thinking about in terms of other tribal decks? Like, what are you feeling like Merfolk's lacking? Yeah. I mean, I have a feeling we're all going to agree on this one, but the disruptive elements that are on plan just are more or less absent here compared to what we're used to from something like spirits or even humans where, where all of your creatures in Merfolk are Lords in one of those other decks, it feels like all of your creatures are doing something to get in the way of your opponents or or maybe 
fella as lieutenant and get out of control. I, I think that there's even a more specific version of that where I, I kind of think the cards that we called the beaters in here, things like Benthic Biomancer, uh, the Kumina Speaker, and even Silvergill Adept are just sort of not good enough cards, you know? Yeah. And, and like, I think what, Stan, what you're saying, I think is it's maybe not that they're not on plan, it's that the plan is too tempo-based. Like, it's like a super tempo-y style of, like, impermanent effect, where it's like, I'm tapping your thing, I'm bouncing your thing, and it's like, well, like, you know, I, I can do that in, in humans with, a like, a Reflector Mage, and you can't cast it next spell. You know what I mean? It's like, or, like, I'm taxing your spells um, without sacrificing my creature. Yeah, but uh, think, or, think about it this way, like, like Stan was saying, Rattle Chains is, like, the two, the, the Ophi two-drop in Spirits. Yes. And that card is incredible it does so many different things you know yeah, and then yeah, yeah. and then selfless spirit is another one that you can run and uh even like we talked about mausoleum wanderer like the the comparison i think is not quite it's just yes. that lower end of the curve is like not quite good enough in in merfolk exactly and here's the other thing merfolk runs out of gas really easily um and humans isn't playing coco either and i think humans can sometimes actually have the exact same problem but it has more insulation from this because of the way it's disrupting their opponent something like kite sail freebooter can like just steal um uh, a sweeper out of your opponent's hand and mm -hmm. merfolk doesn't have an answer to supreme verdict in that way yeah and humans runs like a boatload of the horizon lands because it just kind of can and slash has to like it's just like sort of like the mana of which humans revolves around it can play like you know multiple horizon canopies and even a few of the other um you know the waterlogged grove or the the black white one or whatever like it's those are the kind of things that humans has no problem running and so like, you can even use your extra land if you flood to redraw and like only simic merfolk will run the the simic uh horizon land and only like a few of typically do you guys think there's either specific decks or even metagame forces that merfolk can exploit where it can potentially get to the higher to the top of the meta without actually significant changes or new cards being added to it dave sort of touched on this i think and like it's force of negation like maybe in like a heavy spell based combo meta like getting to run that grip of force along with having a clock maybe can be enough but i'm i'm not really sure like what conditions merfolk's looking to exploit necessarily i mean i think if you get to run force and chalice and have have aggressive cheap creatures that avoid your chalice because the two drops are all better than the one drops then that's you can kind of squint and see what decks you would want to play that against potentially it's just a question of whether spirits whether merfolk is better at addressing that metagame than spirits or humans or other options are i think that there is a place out there where it is you know it might have been something like the cascade metagame where we're just like okay we have to have force negation and we want to kill people fast so that they don't get to set up for a second cascade spell like that's a possible place to be probably didn't work but it's potentially okay um i, I agree with shane that i think it's that kind of like spell-based meta where you want to clock mm-hmm and then you could do a simplified mana base like if people are running a lot of like blood moons at the same time you know, right. you can you can go much more stripped down and, and still be powerful. And, and spreading seas fixes your own mana as well. Like if you have even a single island, you can get a second island for all of your UU lords. Mm -hmm. But I had fun playing it. 
Yeah, and you know, you mentioned that a spell-based mana game, meta game, where force is good. That might also lead to a lot of opponents playing islands, and then you just have free evasion as well, right. without having to rely on spreading seas to to create evasion for you, so to speak. Yeah, it's 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 weird. There's like a weird sort of like tension between people getting greedy with their mana and just like the general power of modern mana bases, where it's like, yeah, like I, I tagged I tagged a triome. You know what I mean with with my with my spreading season that ruled. It wasn't even it wasn't even a blue triumph. It was like a Mardu triumph, right? And it was like sick, like I like three colors to one color you don't even want. Um, but that's not exactly ex- exactly like the the rule. It's more the exception, right? And so like really, um, it's 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 just the power level hasn't kept up. And I hate to say yeah. that about about a deck, but I, that's the reality of modern sometimes. And I think that even the modern aficionados have have really accepted that in a lot of ways. But there are people, you know, like we said, like M Hayashi or Nikachu, who who keep on keeping on and 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 do their best with it and do pretty darn well. Because I don't think it's a bad deck. I think it's just a deck that requires like you know you know you have to know how to tune it. And I think it's tunable, and you have to know what interaction you want to run. And that's important. And I think it's just the kind of deck that, like, if you like it, you can have fun with it. Like Dave said, like I think it's like a, a potentially very fun deck. It's almost the most tunable of the tribes because it has all of these different options. Whereas something like spirits or something like humans, you know, they have so many amazing creatures, but they're also locked into them. You know, I'm- yeah, like yeah, like you might have like seventy of your seventy-five decided, and like in Merfolk, like you maybe have like fifty, right. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of ways to build this deck. Right. But when you think about how other tribes have been pushed, you know, think about creatures like Spellqueller and Skyclave Apparition elevating a spirits environment. Merfolk just hasn't had quite that type of pushed technology added to it recently, if if you're not counting shapeshifters. Dave, any last thoughts before I close this out? No, I mean, like I said earlier it was a fun deck to pick up and play mess around with for a little bit and just see how it does it was a nice trip down memory lane to talk about this and uh thank you mickey for supporting the dive for down sure. and for asking us to do this episode and also hat tip to eric b our old guy from the play group who i know doesn't listen but <laughs> we still care about you i've played against him on arena a couple times he's still around nice all right that wraps up this week's show Thanks again, Mickey, from me as well. This was a really fun one. I'm glad I finally got to play Merfolk. Had a good reason to. Everyone else, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at The Dive Down, all one word, or you can email thedivedown at gmail.com. You can also support the show via Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. As little as a dollar an episode gets you into our super secret Slack community. Join our multi-format FNMs, hang out throughout the week, talk about magic cards, sports, stonks, all sorts of stuff. Movies, no movies channel, but we talk about movies and TV a lot. WandaVision, that's a good show. If you elevate to the highest tier, you can pick an episode topic twice a year and we'll talk about practically anything as long as it's magic related. Probably not Commander because we're not Commander players and it would be really hard for us to do that format justice. As always, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. 
You can sign up for MattaTraders using promo code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, and get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. The tournament series this month is Pioneer, and if you're a MattaTraders subscriber, you get a higher cash payout when you win the tournament. So all you spikes out there, check out our promo code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word. If you play Magic Arena, you can support the Dive Down without spending any money by using our affiliate link for the untapped Arena deck tracking software buddy. Find that over at untapped.thedivedown.com. Of course, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and swim with the fish.